Well, what else could we do? He was hopeless. I'm no bully. I never hurt a nigger in my life. I like niggers in their place. I know how to work them. But I just decided it was time a few people got put on notice. As long as I live and can do anything about it, niggers are gonna stay in their place. Niggers ain't gonna vote where I live. If they did, they'd control the government. They ain't gonna go to school with my kids. And when a nigger gets close to mentioning sex with a white woman, he's tired of living. I'm likely to kill him. Me and my folks fought for this country and we got some rights. I stood there in that shed and listened to that nigger throw that poison at me and I just made up my mind. Chicago boy, I said, I'm tired of sending, of him sending your kind down here to stir up trouble. God damn you. I'm gonna make an example of you just so everyone can know how me and my folks stand. J.W. Millam, Look Magazine, 1956. Free from pain, free from scars, free to sing, free from bars, free my dogs, you're free to go. Black is hot, the streets is cold, free to love, to each his own. Free from bills, free from pills, you wrote aloud, the speakers blow. Life get hard, you ease your soul and clench your mind. Learn to fly and reach the stars, you take the time to look behind and say, look where I came. Welcome to the second installment of the homeschooling segment of the New Black Gospel. What was just dictated to you? by Josilia Hughes. Hello. As I am Cooley Daggers, Europe. And we're basically going to talk about accountability and white privilege and how all that shebangs into a wonderful conglomerate that we like to call the United States of America. <laughs> Indeed. And because of the recent tragedy of another man losing his life to the hands of a person so entrenched in fear that whiteness produces, mm. We just wanted to talk today about death and life and accountability and visibility. So, Cooley, where do you want to start? Well, let's start on a nice little timeline real quick. All right. I'm since, down. Since, you know, we have American history. America ain't been that old, you know. We, no. we relatively young to the world. We're definitely still an experiment. Right? Cool. Yeah, we got to get into that. So... In this experiment, right, Joe? Yeah. At how much time in this 400-year experiment would you it's say? It's longer than that, but yeah. Like 600, yeah, really 600. It's a long time. Yeah, it's right. a couple It's a couple hundred years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Let's bust it down to the actual foundation of America as a country. Okay, so. Because even though we're, we, we're saying America, but we're really referencing the fact of a, a white people being present on this continent. Right, so colonization. <laughs> okay. Oh, love your word choice. So, yeah, so let's say 600 years span, right? Okay. In those 600 years, right, how many times did you hear black people attacking the police? Uh, I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> I mean, I think that's as far as I'm willing to answer that question. I don't have a, I don't have a, a steady factually based answer but i can say that i know more examples in the modern era which would be anything you know from 1900 on that there are more examples of authority figures and typically authority figures are white um using their authority as a predatory knife against the throat of marginalized and oppressed people's life and (laughs) will want to murder your children and take your land and do every unspeakable crime to you because he particularly, Mm -hmm. and sometimes she, but, Mm -hmm. you know, she's sort of relegated to the margins. You know, he's going to do this because that's what black people do to each other. So that's Mm -hmm. some sort of excuse, even though we all know that that's not exactly how it goes. And that was an example, people, of sarcasm. Shout out to Leah Dunham in case she needs a better example of how that's done. Boop! Shots fired. (laughs) So, quite literally going back to the shots fired, Joe, the reason why we bring this up is that it just seems too big of a coincidence that all of the black people are just miraculously in the wrong place 
at the wrong time, which also, can we go into that real real quick? The, what like, does that mean for black people, Joe, in America? To be in the wrong place at the wrong time means yes. to be alive. Mm. To be in the wrong place at the wrong time literally means you listen to your mama, you're, you're in the wrong place. You don't listen to your mama, you're in the wrong place. You go to school, you're in the wrong place. You celebrate your wedding, you're in the wrong place. You drink juice, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> You're mentally ill, you're in the wrong place. You're having fun, you're in the wrong place. It, it, there is no right place for bodies that are perceived to be so explosive. Mm. And how are we such a danger, Joe? Because I don't, I don't feel no grenades like bouncing up and down in my stomach at this moment. It's interesting. I, I did write about this, but like, you know, it's weird. I know a lot of awkward black kids, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. And like, Issa Rae was super cool because she allowed us to all see awkward black people. And it wasn't even that like, oh my God, black people can be awkward. It was that finally someone is brave enough to show me for who I am. And black people are never as dangerous as people think we are. We're people, you know, we're susceptible to the same thing that other people are are susceptible to you know like we mm-hmm. we live we're trying to figure out life we're philosophical some of us are very smart some of us are very not smart some of us make bad decisions some of us make good decisions what would you think how your consciousness was molded out of seeing a world that didn't depict the world that you lived in it gave me a very skewed view of my identity I felt like I was constantly at conflict because I had all of this black skin and all of this good intent and all of this good love that no one wanted to see or no one would believe existed. I mean, how do you feel, Cooley? I I feel like I have no cards to play with. It's constantly like sitting down to a card table watching the dealer hand out everyone cards and... Some people like to play the joke like, oh, well, at least you have the black card. No, I don't have that card. In this deck, in the reality of how the game is played, of racial and economic politics in America, is that you don't have no cards. You are literally, your your privilege, if you are black and brown, goes as far as you being able to sit at the table. Now. Now. But even (laughs) then, I, I mean, I would even say that sitting at the table is still fraught. (laughs) with complication for example oh yeah who's gonna sit in what chair exactly who sits in what chair yesterday (laughs) i mean a couple days ago i got out of my therapist's office and i had been crying as i am wont to do and i was still in a very emotional place and i you know the i get in the elevator to go downstairs and there are three women in the elevator and they were i could hear them talking before the doors opened Mm -hmm. and they saw my face they jumped up and pulled backwards into the elevator and looked at me as if I was some sort of apparition. Mm. And it was like, I know you want me to be dead, but I'm not that yet. And I don't think they really understood how painful that was to like be in an emotionally vulnerable place and to never get the benefit of the doubt of being emotionally vulnerable. But Joe. Yeah. What were you doing outside? That, I mean, you know, you and I often have this question as to why we are outside. Like, we wonder, how are we ever supposed to make it? And we're, you know, a lot of people tell us, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you're trying to, like, start a revolution. And then the second we want to start it, we hear about another person getting killed. We hear about another person running literally running away, surrendering, right. doing the very thing that we are all taught to do. S- and they're still taken from us. It feels like I'm, we're doing extra work. It seems like we're doing the work to not be held accountable for our blackness. So we quite literally don't go outside as well as we quite literally don't go upon different opportunities. Or all those opportunities don't even get shed any light on because those aren't things for us. And we continue to rock and we continue to live in this very mini maze, little microcosm, if you will. And even then, you still can't even live in that. Nope. No. No, you can't. So this entire existence, right, would you call it a comfortable one? I mean, I don't know what comfort is. 
I'm really sick. <laughs> I mean, I think in the previous episode um, where I discussed my sickle cell, I think it's very evident that I'm very, very sick. If I don't even know bodily comfort, and then to not have psychic comfort is totally just... I'm just saying, you, you were very rude when you stepped into that elevator at your doctor's office to get down to the lobby of your doctor's office to get to the street to go home because you were impeding upon the comfortability of those white women in that elevator, Joe. Why did you come in there with your blackness? And that's why I don't like going outside. <laughs> I mean, this is the reason why I defensively pull my purse close to me when I approach white women just so that they can feel an iota of the discomfort I feel every single day. And I understand that might be something that is incredibly messed up to do, but with this much psychic trauma and with only a limited amount of therapy sessions that I can get through my health insurance, you deserve I, these, these petty moves. I, I can be petty every once in a while and I admit it. It's cool. It's perfectly fine. How does comfort fit into your life? It doesn't. That's, that's the thing. I'm being constantly reminded of how uncomfortable I can make people feel. For example, this is true story. Um, I'm literally told every day before I leave my house not to make people uncomfortable. And by people, I mean white people. I mean quite literally being told from the age of about 5 to 15, do not go outside and stir up these white people. We talked about this last episode. Huh? Is, it is troubling to be briefed. <laughs> every single time and I'm only child um, I had one of the blessings of having multiple parents uh, if you can imagine that as a blessing or a burden whichever one you care to pick but either way so imagine hearing that about six times in six different forms from six different black experiences of basically telling you the same thing that your existence is a problem but isn't that interesting that you can have six different black experiences that all consolidate into one idea? That mm -hmm. like you could literally walk any path of life mm -hmm. and still have one warning. Like what does that say? Well, it says it's a fact. I ain't never know my grandmother tell me a lie, not once. Not once, not never. And as all good grandmothers, especially the black and brown ones, shout out to black and brown grandmas and grandmas of the world. They don't lie to you. They keep it real. That's why you like going to grandma's house instead of staying at your house. <laughs> it's true. It's like your mom can't keep it as real with you because she's still trying to be your friend and make sure she has some place to stay when she's old. Your grandma got her own house. She only got to be your friend if she want to. Basically. Mm -hmm. So the knowledge that has been spoken to us is just based off of the facts of that you will be visualized as a problem whether you are presenting a problem, and I'm using the bunny ears quotations, or whether you're not presenting a problem. But if my existence in itself, my mere ability to breathe, is considered some type of offense to the people in charge, how am I truly supposed to traverse this world, Joe? You can't. <laughs> you can't. You find yourself walking in circles. JetBlue don't got a no bigots like section? No. Damn. No. I mean, I would say that, like, we are forced to decolonize ourselves. And that's, a, and that's a term that Juno Diaz uses a lot that I, I like. You know, he, he often talks about decolonized love, um, which is to say, like, love that is not within the purview of whiteness. It's love mm -hmm. that is, like, genuine in, it, in that it is all of the BS is stripped away and we're left with the true connection. And I think that a lot of what we go through right now is a matter of decolonizing ourselves. You know, like, yeah, it might be 2015, and we think that we've reached this, like, new height <laughs> of, you know, racial tolerance, and tolerance is really just not even a good word. Like, no. why should you tolerate people? Tolerating is the lowest thing that you can do for another human being. It is the absolute... It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. um, and we think that we've reached these new peaks. But really, we're just refashioning the mm -hmm. old ones. And it's important for us to be honest. It's important for us to sit down and open our mouths and say messed up stuff if we need to say it. Mm -hmm. Because there's no other way to learn if you aren't 
Like, you have to be willing to fail if you're going to learn anything. You have mm -hmm. to. Everything is an experiment. America's an experiment. This mm -hmm. podcast is an experiment. Our lives are all, of it, all an experiment. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we can try to reach somewhere where we are not only comfortable, but we are wise. Mm -hmm. So I think that we should mm -hmm. talk about this, like, accountability for being wise. Like, how do we mm -hmm. get to being wise, Cooley? See, Joe, now you asking a lot. You you asking people to, one, acknowledge if they did a wrong. Because remember, that's the first step. Just like addicts, <laughs> same thing. It's like, yo, first step to everything, man. You can listen to any addict. All Yeah, all addicts have this rasp. <laughs> no matter what ethnicity, all addicts have this rasp. Same way they do the hula hoop, according to um, freaking Kevin Hart. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, man, you want me to get off of the stuff, but it's like, if I admit I have a problem, right? Like, that's the first step. I'm already on the wagon. My dude, no, you still on the curb because the car done went off. Your change in your mobility is within your actions. You speaking to existence that, hey, I'm not a racist, but you still are somehow in cahoots with racist organizations. Relations or racist people. people. Or you look around your circle and you realize, hey, there's not a lot of diversity here at all. Like, mm -hmm. the fact that, like, all, it is an active pursuit of things that are not you, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not just because, oh, yeah, I think it's hip right. so I can walk into a black bar and I don't feel scared. Look mm -hmm. at me. I'm down. It's just that how dare you? be so limited in your humanity mm. to miss the artful lives of other people. Especially ones that invent everything. Girl, we ain't going there right now. Okay, we ain't going there. We can't, we can't even, well, we ain't even going into Africa. We ain't going into Hoteps. We ain't going to Ankhs. We ain't going to Ross. We ain't going there. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not today. Dang. Cause then we gonna have to deal with dudes with an Ankh. We gonna have to deal with Kemet. We ain't here for that right now. All right, well, I got one example. Just one example. Okay. Feel me out. Feel me out. Listen, listen. All right. Louis Latimer, right? Yeah. Random black dude. Uh-huh. Parents born out of slavery. He almost got taken back into slavery. Uh-huh. He ended up working for the two white men that are accredited with the idea of the light bulb. Yes. He built both parts of this device that both of these white people have actual accreditation for. Yes. And the patenting. Okay. Because he couldn't get the patenting. Well, yes. No. No, can't, you know, can't give people rights. Can't give people acknowledgement, right? So when I th think about stories like that, of course, we think about in the grander scheme of that was racist because it was literally slavery. And now we're talking about abolition slavery. Now we're talking about reconstruction. Okay, fixing historical context. Sort of like a, a black version of Forrest Gump. Cool. But the thing that's crazy is that that's one person. That is one body that came up with all these other ideas, even if we want to push it to Carver. We've literally belittled him down to peanuts. That man was a straight botanist, full-blown scientist. Probably if he had his ability to start a school, he would have probably found cures for half the things that people just falling off dying for right now. Those are two people. Two people. How many black men have we killed? And by we, I mean white America. How many? Countless. Absolutely countless. We have bodies lining the ocean. We have bodies that are the soil of our ground. We have spirits everywhere. So black people and brown people literally laid the mortar for America. Yeah. And it is an extremely strong foundation because that's the only saving graces that America has. America can say, yeah, we did it first. We did it first and we did it the biggest. But we're a funeral home. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's like where this like has to go. Like we mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that we are a funeral. <laughs> like we are a nonstop funeral. And that a lot of people are not that much better than the Westboro Baptist Church. A lot of people out here who would say that they're great folks who are willing to stand on the what a lot of people will call the wrong side of history and say, hey, maybe we should give those cops a chance. <laughs> maybe there are a lot of good cops. And you know what? 
the two of us here are not saying that there aren't good cops. Nope. But the thing is, I also need everyone else to say, but there are a lot of good black people. Mm-hmm. I need people to say, there are a lot of, lot of great people in this country who love and are capable and are doing things. And you might not hear about it because mm-hmm. that doesn't give a media storm. You know, they don't want to hear about when people succeed. It doesn't fit a narrative. Mm-hmm. But widen your mm-hmm. own narrative. So while we get into that, because you know how the narrative is manipulated. Yeah. And it's manipulated by the fact that we give white people the benefit of the doubt. Always. Uh-huh. So it always falls underneath that lovely umbrella of white privilege. Right. Now that we're acknowledging this, right, what do we do next? And not even we as black people, black people that identify as black people, black people that identify as female black people, <laughs> or even the people listening right now. I'm saying literally as a country, what do these what should happen next? We have to acknowledge our wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. We have to stop letting snuff films and that's mm-hmm. what all of these videos of black people dying in the street, black and brown bodies, and we take videos of them mm-hmm. and they end up on the internet. My boyfriend called it a snuff film and he's absolutely right. We need to stop relying on what we physically see Mm -hmm. to be our impetus for change. We need to hone in on our internal eye. We need to trust our instincts. We need to trust the voices of others so that we can all come together and be like, all right, y'all, things are messed up, but we trust each other. And there's a complete lack of trust. There's a fragmented trust within the black community um, with other black people. Mm -hmm. There's a fragmented trust between black people and white people. Obviously, I'm using like just white and black people because this is our discussion. But like Mm -hmm. it it, it can be fragmented in whatever way. And Mm -hmm. the fact that we have zero trust and that our trust is constantly violated because black people Mm -hmm. are constantly having their trust violated by the country that says that you are a citizen. There's, There's no reason why a boy can be killed by a grown man. By a grown man a few blocks away from my own house. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not supposed to, and then I'm supposed to walk down that street and not feel the pain of his life hit me in the face. The fact that I'm supposed to ignore that because that was one bad cop. I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to sit there and see the cops on the corner and think, yo, I want. I wish I could sucker punch you right now, but I know that if I did that, you'd beat my ass like mm-hmm. Abner Luima. <laughs> because unlike unlike the police, black people are guilty by association. Oh, yeah. It's Too like, many of us on the street. <laughs> it's like, you don't, oh, gosh. All right, Joe. No, <laughs> it's flashback. Flashback time for Throwback Thursday. <laughs> Shout out to the Facebook listeners. Thank you, Ooh. thank you, thank you for the Instagram, support. Instagram, yes. Yes. So, Joe, yeah? do you recall a time? Uh, mind you, I'd like to just put some location placement for our listeners real quick. We are located about a block and a half from a precinct. <laughs> a New York City precinct, for anybody that's out of state listening. For Just so you could understand that even further, it's probably less than two bus lanes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like... It's a two-minute walk. Mm-hmm. It is a two-minute walk. And that's if you're strolling. Exactly. <laughs> we called for the police because we had a police matter. <laughs> there was a missing child. <laughs> yeah. Quite literally. There was a missing child. Mm-hmm. They decided they wanted to arrive, and by decided, it's because they strolled literally to the gate where we were at. Uh, well, it's someone's house. Basically, it's the gate right before it. So they strolled up to the person's property first. Then open the gate just as casual as any other visitor. Nothing's going on. They're not in uniform. There was no request of life endangerment. Nothing could be seen from this. We asked them, because, you know, me and Joe, we're, we're rude black people. We're very disrespectful. We asked them, why did it take them two and a half hours to get to a space that is two minutes by foot? <laughs> Exactly, and even less by car. Yes, which they rolled up in. Exactly. And double parked in the middle of a one-way street. But let's not go there. Let's stay on task. Let's stay on task. So 
their rebuttal was, well, do you not know the community that the you live in? As to which me and Joe said, yes, we do. <laughs> We're quite aware of where we live, and we usually feel pretty safe where we live. Huh? It's like, are you aware of the community? So we gave them a skewed look and said, well, we had to break up. He didn't call it a riot. I don't no, want to lie he said, on he said he had to break up a, a situation. Yes. And when we asked about this says situation, right? He said, he pointed down the block to the corner, which is literally named like a meeting place. Yeah. As all bodegas in most hoods are. <laughs> yes. Where you may see teenage hood children, as there mostly are every day. Exactly. Because they live in the hood. <laughs> and they have nowhere to go because we don't have things like funding for after school. He said, I had to break up not a mob, not a riot, that... He referred to them as something like a, like a, a, a like they were like thugs. It was they, sort of like he didn't say thugs, but it was an implication of thugs. And we know the young people that hang out down the block very much so. And they're like rena thugs, if anything. You know, half of at that age we were much younger, but at that age they were all like fifteen and. Not even Joe, them kids at that time. Because then we were like 16. Right, so they were like... like they were 11. like 10, 11, 12. <laughs> they were like 11 these, years old. These are straight up shout out to latchkey children and their parents. I understand your struggle. But sometimes it is not cool to let your kid outside the house just to be able to run the streets. But if we had some place for them to go, I could understand if they weren't outside. Either way, there is a curfew in New York, but it is not actually followed. But either way, they are ahead of the curve of the curfew, Joe, because the curfew like, is like 10. This was only at 8 o'clock at night? 8 o'clock? It was between in the 6 summertime. and 8. Yeah, and it was bright. So it was just like the fact that, like, kids can't even hang out outside to just be outside, get fresh air, to not have to, like, breathe in the recycled air of their vent systems mm -hmm. and to be in, like, piss-smelling projects because that's where a lot of people live. And I'm not, like, trying to, like, no. throw shade, but straight up, it smells really bad. And oh, some side note to that, why it smells really bad? Apparently, the NYCHA does not have any funding for cleaning supplies oh, and people still in it. NYCHA's a mess. Yeah, we know about that, but we're not right. going to go there either. <laughs> I just want to say, well, we all want to say from New Black Gospel, we shout out our city workers that keep our parks and everything else clean. I just hope that the government would send you your supplies. <laughs> and allocate the money better so that we can have a city where everyone is safe and not just safe in neighborhoods where white people live. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that because nope. gentrification is also another conversation we should have later. Nope. And that's also one of class that's a little <laughs> different. Nope. But we wanted to just talk about how like black bodies are not viewed as... As valuable. Or somehow less valuable. Because after the cop wanted to say you didn't know what type of neighborhood you live in and that they had to break up this basic gang of thugs, which was a bunch of 10 to 12 year olds that were black and brown. It's just amazing how you can just jump in your criminal career from not having a record at all to just being automatically a thug. Yep. Uh, and classified as such by your local authorities. We said to him, it took you two and a half hours to to make that crowd dissipate. That's what you're saying. He was 10 seconds over from jumping over to my side of the railing, but I believe he realized that I do indeed know my community as well as my rights. So his friend told him, nah, let it go. Like, we don't have to be bothered with this. They quite literally said, we don't have to be bothered with this. Let's keep this in mind, listeners. We're the ones that called the police. And that was the <laughs> last time we called the police. And mm -hmm. to be completely frank, given the given the hostile nature of the America, <laughs> America and the prison system and the police, I don't know of many black people right now who would feel safe calling the police, to be completely mm -hmm. frank. And that's a scary thing. When you live in a country and you're supposed to have officers to protect you, mm -hmm. they are to serve and protect. And they are serving nothing but white supremacy and protecting nothing but white supremacy. Mm -hmm. 
And it's the fact that they tell us, you don't know what community you live in, as <laughs> if our community will eat us alive. Yeah. When in truth, they are. <laughs> when yeah. in truth, all of this oppression is eating us alive. Yeah. But it's okay. As long as we're not talking about that vision, Joe. It just always goes back to the visibility of things. Like We're magically seen only for certain roles. Like how Denzel, in my opinion, you know, just my opinion, will <laughs> never get a winning award for acting as long as he tries to play anything but a white person's idea of what a black person should be. Ooh. But, okay. Huh? Yeah. I, I'm just saying, training day. Okay, okay. You know, I... Glory. I don't pay attention to the movies because they hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> so it's okay. just it's just a mess. But so it goes back into the visibility and the accountability of things. If an organization that once again is literally paid, because I think we should say this clear for people, because it's a big misconception. Most people think that they have to answer to the police for any and everything because they are authoritative figure. Understand, overstand this now. They work for you. That is why the the term is protect and serve. They are a city worker. They are in service of the city of New York, the city of wherever you're at, that they're also in service of you. You pay their salary. They literally cannot go back to their safe neighborhoods, quote unquote, because if we looked at the crime rate, um, did a little fact sheet checking real quick. Well, it's... Crimes reported mm. versus actual crimes, and this is wait. So, Joe, to have a crime reported, don't you have to actually investigate? Well, yeah. I mean, there, mm. there, there's this different. The stringency is different, mm. and it's the idea that black people commit more crimes. False. Mm. Black people are arrested for more crimes. A black mm. person carrying weed versus a white person carrying weed will end up in two different circumstances depending on the cop. Mm. More so, a black person carrying weed will end up in a citation or, I don't know, a court appearance. No, or, you're definitely getting the summons. Depend, you know, it's just like, a, a, I'm talking about at least it's a citation. You know, right. you'll get a summons. At, at most, you might make a court appearance depending on how much weed you've got. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that black people are considered more guilty. dangerous and guilty. And mm-hmm. this is because of a skewed narrative the narrative has literally been co-opted to say that we are bad Mm -hmm. and the thing is with narratives if you hear them over and over again if i attach a jingle to it if i make a disney adaption to it all of a sudden the story of pocahontas it doesn't seem that bad does it no but it it just seems like a real big misunderstanding it seems like a big misunderstanding Mm -hmm. and also it's the kind of thing where if you hear something enough the same way Mm -hmm. how your family told you the same thing enough Mm -hmm. it becomes a truth Mm -hmm. a valid and painful one like what was it um unfortunately i don't know if i come from the caribbean experience but I have been blessed in my blackness to have friends and family members that are from the Caribbean experience. So I got hit with this beautiful bit of wisdom that I always used to take with a lot of grain of salt, but it's just just straight up facts. Joe, it's, uh, I don't want to misquote. Okay. So correct me, please. I will. Mm-hmm. If you don't think, you must feel. Oh, if you don't hear, you must feel. If you don't hear, you must feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just straight up what it is. It's like, I think straight up my grandmother believes in her soul of souls that she hopes that she is wrong, even though she knows she is completely right about the situations that I may incur just being alive in America and going outside my house. But what I'm, what I always bring back to her is that I'm not going to argue with you whether those things exist. It's a fact they exist. We have the bodies. (laughs) To show. (laughs) To show this. And, of course, we know the stories of the people that survived that don't get any visibility in that because they survived, which is crazy in itself. It's like an atrocity can happen to you, and if you say nothing about it, then it didn't happen. It's what Zora Neale Hurston said. Oh, shoot. Wait, so what'd she say? uh, I don't know the exact quote, so don't take this as, like, Joe's reading a quote from the internet. Um, It's basically (laughs) that... 
you know, if you if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And it's like a white white Americans, and I mean white Americans that are privy to white history, the actual context of it, and the ones that perpetuate the Disney adapted film versions of it, which are very catchy, however racist and incredibly skewed stories. But it's hard to start negating things that have been given to you as fact and that you see play out as fact. But one thing isn't hard to do, to question why that is a fact. Why is it a fact that we have to live with that reality, Joe, but nobody else does? And nobody else, I mean white straight men. They don't have to ponder <laughs> being white straight men. No, it's not, it's not one of those things where... For instance, this weekend I went to the, I, you know, I was out. Well, I was out, okay? You don't, you don't need to know where I was. She was in the streets okay? of New York. I was out. I, I had to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was out with a friend, and I received particularly bad service. Mm-hmm. Um, one person ordered, my friend ordered a drink with a whiskey shot in it, which you would think would take longer because you have to go to a bar and get all that stuff done. And I ordered a Sprite. My friend got their whiskey shot and their drink. And I waited probably about 10 to 20 extra minutes for my, for my Sprite. I cannot drink. And it's, it was, I realized that my friend, who's a white man, mm. never has to think twice about whether or not the service he's receiving is due to the fact that he is a white man. Mm. And I sat in that movie theater. Okay, so now you know where I was because I gave it up. (laughs) Um, I had to sit there surrounded by a bunch of white people who I saw receiving great service. And I felt so alone. And it's the Mm. idea that why is it that the discussion of race always becomes one of either you're listening to black people talk about it and then it's like wow that's so illuminating oh my god oh my god teach me teach me and it's like whoa i'm not here to teach you i'm here to work out my own stuff and if you happen to be there that's cool and that's cool but don't think i'm teaching you because listen although this is called homeschool this is for the two of us right i ain't to teach you just not i'm a student we're all students Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, black people are not authorities on blackness. The reason why is because blackness has been taken away from us repeatedly and because the experience of blackness is so vast and so deep, it is impossible for one person to encapsulate the depth and breadth of it. Right. So it's actually just infinite. It's infinite, just like any human spirit is infinite. So we wanted to talk about Walter Scott and these snuff films uh, that have been the, uh, how do I say, have been the, they've been the new version of the black exploitation film, except that black people aren't the stars of it in the way that we want them to be. And because it's a snuff film which is something that no one should ever see, to be completely frank. Um, so we wanted to talk about Walter Scott and how those videos are being shared all over um, and how people are like, look, this time, this time, mm. they got it on film this time and the guy didn't get arrested and he's not getting rat poison in his food like the Eric Garner guy. And they're like, this is it. This is the moment that he gets charged and we get justice. I didn't know magically this one white person now represented the entire white race, entirety of badness of white people. I mean, parts of my blackness is joy, like overjoyed (laughs) because I'm like, yes, somebody else will be, you know how hard it is to live accountable for about 13% of this country? Like, that's just terrible. Like, anybody on their job, at their workplace, whatever they doing, they school, they at church, and they mess up, all of a sudden, Cooley Daggers and Joe Hughes, we some terrible folk. They probably done messed up in California, and we always on the other side of the country, and we done messed up somehow. So I was happy 
a little bit for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I was I was happy that he got a charge for murder. That doesn't mean that he was convicted of murder. Mm-hmm. And we should probably learn about our legal terms so that we don't jump to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? You know what's just so crazy, though, Joe? How excited people are that he even got acknowledged for murdering somebody. Because now black people are somebody. I mean, that's the crazy part. It's like, why is the request, there should always be a video camera. Why is the request, our cops shouldn't be shooting people. Like, stop shooting people. How about you put the risk in your job and potentially get shot yourself? How about you own up to the fact? And I'm not saying that I want cops to die. I'm not saying that. But the thing is, is that if you have taken up the the duty to become a cop. If you've said, you know what? I'm going to be a protector. Mm-hmm. I want to protect all these people in these streets. Right. Then you need to be willing to take a bullet. That's just it. That's just it. See, I'm not willing to take no bullet. So I'm not no. trying to be in the street trying to be a police. That's just it. But Joe, what do you think it does to like your mental ability? Or just, yeah, just like your mental stamina. Every day. You go into a community that is not your own with people that don't live the, even remotely a similar experience to you. Of course they do because we're black and brown people and we all know that all humans are the same, even though it's not portrayed that way. But to be an NYPD officer is literally to go from a different space of completely the opposite because the NYPD is not represented in terms of their diversity in terms of how the state of uh, the state or the city of New it's York looks, or the city of New and York, and you can't work in the borough that you're from. So, right. like, so most of our officers, Long Island, Staten, Staten Island, Island, even some tidbits of Queens, a couple, yeah, right. So, you're going in with that mentality one. Now, when you get there, you're getting a briefing every morning of that it's us versus them. Who is this them? Mothers and children walking in the street? Because that's the only people you're going to see at 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> is people trying to get to work and go to school. So what are you doing? But that's the pre- The premise is given to you that there's something that these people are doing wrong, even if they are just existing. Even in just their basic existence, there's a possibility that something might pop off, and you must be ready for it. But that's also what policing is. I mean, mm-hmm. the way that policing works in this state or in this city, because we're using the city as an example, as it's what we live, mm-hmm. like, you're going in with a militarized attitude. You're going mm-hmm. into it being like, I'm a police. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, dude, like, I feel you. That's nice. Right. But uh, what do you think is going to pop off a potluck at the barbecue? Because that's exactly what's going to pop off in these communities. So now say, because I can only, I'll, I'll be quite frank, the only crimes I can think of being committed in the last couple of years of me being back in New York have been by the police on citizens, not the other way around whatsoever. I know some citizen on citizen crime, but that's different. Right. And even in that. Citizen on a citizen, one on one. <laughs> Where the way white America talks about black America is like there's a bomb about to go off in every single black body. Well, because we are bombs. Mm-hmm. Because remember, we have to take this premise. Mm-hmm. I watched this video who mm-hmm. was evidently from the South or the West, and he was talking about how he's no longer racist and what you need and what America needs to do in order to stop being this dangerous place for black people. And like, he didn't say anything that black and brown people haven't been saying before, but obviously it's a little more poignant when it comes out of the mouth of a white man because we trust him. Anyway, Mm -hmm. the point is he Mm -hmm. came down to say that the reason why white people treat black people the way that they do is because they are absolutely terrified of retribution. They are absolutely terrified of some Django Unchained, <laughs> Jamie Foxx and his his 
you I, know, woman I'm, or My whatever. mama asked me not to speak bad about nobody. I'm not, about I'm not talking about nobody. But what <laughs> I'm saying is, it's, it's the fear of black retribution, that we mm -hmm. are going to rise up, that we are going to, it is going to be that fear of the black planet, that we're going to mm -hmm. all be NWA, and we're going to run them streets and just push people down. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how many times has black Americans have had this opportunity on many occasions? Mm -hmm. Okay, we literally every single day since like every day since 1964 we've right. had this opportunity and it has not been executed no and it's not because we are incapable it's because we have no interest mm. joe what does that speak to the the human nature of black and brown people to just in this context at least to white and lighter skill toned people that we don't live in a constant state of paranoia, that we've done something wrong. Instead of our guilt, we don't project our guilt outward. Mm. It's always projected inward. So there's a self-destructive quality about it. When you project your guilt outward, you make black people feel guilty about themselves. You make them feel ugly. You make them feel unsmart. You make them feel whatever. Right. When you project it inward, you hate yourself. You know you're not smart. Mm. You bleach your skin. You yes. do all those things that... And press your head. No, no disrespect to people that are still on the creamy crack or anything else. I just want to say I love my edges. <laughs> I know people with edges that have perm. Yeah. Our, one of our besties does. True that, yo. She's, she's Shout very out. laid. Yes. It's like, what, what the children say now? It's on fleek? Her edges are on fleek, and that is to our homie in Georgia. Yep. Um, shout out, <laughs> shout out, shout out. But even in that, Madam C.J. Walker, everybody, everybody black. <laughs> everybody black and everybody successful and everybody making it just look flawless. It's like literally black people, if we didn't make it, we literally perfected it. And we it just it looked cooler. flawless. We made it cooler. <laughs> like absolutely everything. This is why we are disturbed by Kelly, Kylie Jenner using allegedly black lights and neon <laughs> paints or, so, for a photo shoot to accentuate her full lips because that's beautiful. But if you put that on a black woman, it's like, oh, girl, no, watch yourself. You can't have that. You need to contour that up, get that thinned out, push over that something side. So, Joe, yeah, because yeah, it, it feeds right, it feeds all right into it. So, I have this this sneaky suspicion mm -hmm. that Americans want to be black but nobody wants to really be black. Shout outs to my friend Sid for giving that quote like mad years ago. Well, shout out to Paul Mooney. <laughs> oh shoot, Paul Mooney, I forgot. Shout out to Paul Mooney. For everyone wants to be a nigga, but nobody wants to be a nigga. All right, that's really just what it comes down to. There is no right to appropriate the struggles of people who are constantly suffering just because you think it's cool and leave all of the suffering behind. If you want to be with the movement, you got to take all of it with you. You got to take mm -hmm. all that baggage. You got to take all that mental, the, all of that mental space that has been constantly been barraged with negativity. You got to take all of it. You can't take, you know, a tan and some lips and a little bit of booty and then say, mm -hmm. that's enough. Yep, it's like I've done my shopping at the continent. I am completely done. I'm awful because I remember those times, Joe. Like we like to forget about these nice pinpoints of time where Africa got divvied up. The continent of Africa, please don't ever call it a country. <laughs> it's if, not a country. No, 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 no. That's just fun fact for anybody that's just been wondering. But if you go for your window shopping in Africa because remember it was divvied up literally between just nations of white people but okay I'm, no. I'm not even gonna no I can't let's like we can't go there we just we can't talk about that oh but a good thing to talk about let's talk about some white on white crime real quick white on white crime yes what is Crazy. that madness you it's mean? so unlike black on black crime where that's a myth this is real <laughs> white on white crime mm -hmm is white people perpetrating crimes against other white people. Yeah, that's just about it. It's, it, it, it's really simple. It really is just the reality of how crime works. Mm -hmm. You fight 
and you steal from people <laughs> who are in your community. It is more likely that you will get robbed by a white person if you live in a community full of white people. You yep. are more likely to get robbed by the, by a Latino person if you live in a community of Latino people. You are more likely to get robbed by a black person if you live in a black community, although natives have a slightly different experience. Yes, we, we are robbed and stolen from and for <laughs> wherever we're at. And, and that goes into the, the problematic situation of what we're going to hint into. I'll just jump the hint and just go straight up into it. Of white people being able to delve into black and brown communities, black and brown culture, everything, and have no accountability for one of the things that they're taking, there's never an even exchange. No, I mean, mm-hmm. like, there's, it, it's not because it's the, it's the idea of normal versus other. Mm-hmm. And everything that black communities take from white communities is normalized. You know, I've heard people be like, oh, well, black people should stop wearing denim. It's like, so, what? It's like, what do you, what do you, because that's white? Like, it's the idea that, I I mean, I would argue with them, be like, okay, cool. As long as you have black people stop picking the cotton and getting the indigo to make the damn pants, we'll be fine. I mean, there's (laughs) a lot of mixed up with stuff with it. I would just say that, like, at the end of the day, it's it's always other versus normal. And Mm -hmm. using terms like normal only reinforces Mm -hmm. the othering. You know, Mm -hmm. it's to say, like, oh, man, he's just, like, you know, he's just a normal guy. When I hear normal guy, all I think (laughs) is... So he probably suffers from that patriarchy and mm-hmm. he has a lot of unchecked privileges and like he, he sips misogyny he, and, and he's sort of, you know, one of those dudes that I probably won't mess with. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to just understand that until we reach a point of comfort for all, until mm-hmm. we reach a point where we are accepting and loving more so of each other mm-hmm. we can never use the term normal truth because it's like native peoples right of this continent uh the one that we're sitting on right now north america at least i'll just speak from that experience it wasn't a question if the people coming on these boats even though they wanted to call them ships they were not ships compared to mayan ships but whatever coming over on these barges Half homeless, well, actually just homeless, because let's keep it quite frank. The colonialists and everybody else was coming from Europe. Y'all were exposed. Y'all, Europe didn't want y'all, okay? They were going to kill you if you stayed, and you damned if you do, damned if you don't, if was, you didn't went somewhere else. It was a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation, yeah. So you got over here half naked, half hungry, half sick. Yeah, there's three halves to all this, because you got to talk about the half of the people that didn't make it. Jesus. And then you're literally the only, the key, the only thing that keeps to your longevity in the American experiment was the fact that black and brown bodies saw you as a body. It wasn't even a question. Forget about even the benefit of the doubt because black and brown people, at least in the way that we're seeing this narrative, or at least, you know, I'll say it coolly, this, I'm seeing this narrative, is that it's one of empathy. It's not one of sympathy. When it comes to the white perspective. Sympathy is useless. Mm -hmm. Sympathy, just like pity, completely, absolutely useless. It's great if you're, like, watching a TV show, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, man, I, like, pity that fake person. But it's just, like, (laughs) in real life, one needs to be capable of putting oneself in another person's shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's how we all continue to live. You know, it's, it's not possible to continue life if someone is not willing to make the sacrifice of themselves to understand the pain of another. Mm-hmm. And understand doesn't mean go through. No. There's no way, and y'all might not believe me, but we on the new black gospel. I'm telling the God, universe is all time true. There's no way that I see it would be all right to subject white people to the atrocities that they subjected black and brown people to and the planet to. 
the last 600 years. But I wouldn't want to do that either. That doesn't no, make any sense. it's not sense. a desire. It's, <laughs> it makes no... Lo- what, what am I going to get out of that, Joe? What, what, what could we possibly get except for another group, a 10, like 100 more generations of people that now have a new world order version of re-racism, as white people like to call it, or what is it, reverse racism? Reverse racism, which doesn't <laughs> exist. It doesn't. It's just, we're literally highlighting the fact that at any point in time, white people could have been taken out just by their own accord, by their own inability to adapt to the situations that they were in, and they're only here by the grace of brown and black bodies sustaining them. And even when they're wrong, they still don't have the... What is it when you want to go back and hurt somebody? Re... What? Not, Not revenge. What is it? Retribution? Yeah. It's like the way we look for retribution isn't even in the physicality of things. We look for retribution straight up in your actions of apologizing. True. So, it just, it's, 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 it's beyond troubling. Because it makes me question, I'm no longer, white people thought they did was they thought they accomplished, at least in American society, of making black and brown people question their humanity to the point where they probably feel felt and do feel that they are alien to this land and everything else and that they must once again assimilate or acquire these other things to be normal and be human or but, disappear or disappear further into the ether of unvisibility and sometimes visibility but only through the eyes of white generous <laughs> white people who think they're doing someone a favor yo this is a psa real quick White people, don't do us no more favors. You came over to Africa talking about you was doing us a favor, going to bring us into civility, all types of other excuses that you try to use to basically chop up the land and treat us like animals. Well, actually, we're all animals, not even treat us with the respect that you would kill a goat. But that new age thing of cattle slavery, which is only akin to your history, not ours, yours. Don't do me no favors. In 1960s, 1800, any of those times where you had rights and I did not, but you threw me like a bone or two, gave me a job, some type of help up every now and again. Don't do me no favor now, white women with your feminism, that doesn't include black and brown bodies or black pathological thought, any of those things, any of those oppressions of artistic creation, none of that if it only is in the guise of helping you be equal to white men. I can't say it no better than that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm taking a seat back, y'all. I'm, I'm just saying the favor is not even a favor. It's just if you actually possess empathy or sympathy, then it should develop into actions. And what is our call to action, Joe? Stop watching snuff films. Start getting outside. Start writing. Start creating art. Start educating yourselves. Start educating your friends. Start letting go of things that are comfortable, especially if they're dangerous to other people. Start being accountable. Start using your eyes for more than physical vision. Mm. Just, just start being human again, y'all. That's real. Well, this has been Joe Hughes and Cooley Daggers of the New Black Gospel. This has been your second lesson at the homeschooling. And uh, you guys know the drill. Please follow on Instagram and Twitter with the handle New Black Gospel. The New Black Gospel now has a Tumblr page dedicated to all things New Black Gospel and all things excellent, excellent people of color. So it is called the new black gospel.tumblr.com that's t-u-m-b-l-r.com um i we have an email address if you would like to send us an email that would be super cool the email right. is the email address is the new black gospel at gmail.com and be sure to subscribe on itunes and i have an i i have a soundcloud pro account now so you guys can also follow on that if that's easier for you yep super duper fancy 
And uh, so you will hear us again in the next two weeks for installment three. And next week, we'll be back to a regular episode of the new Black Gospel featuring just me, Joe. So mm-hmm. thank you, Cooley, for coming by. Of course, of course. Dropping some truth bombs. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. So uh, we out? Yeah, stay black, stay blessed, y'all. The world is yours. The world is yours to everybody in Brooklyn. The world is yours. The world is yours. Everybody in Mount Vernon. The world is yours. Long Island. Yo, the world is yours. Staten Island. Yeah, the world is yours. South Bronx. The world is yours.